Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. And uh, today we're going to take a look in Luke, if you've got your Bibles, and uh, we're going to take a look at someone named Mary. Um, you know, when you look at the whole story of of Jesus' life, I was just thinking about this, studying this week, she is there at every important moment, basically. Mary was, of course, there. She was the instrument God used to see that Christ was birthed into this world. I mean, she was there for the first miracle. She was there at the, re- at the cross. She was there at the resurrection. She was there at the ascension. She was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and fell and the church was birthed. She was there. And depending on your tradition, uh, you know, of course, Roman Catholic or, uh, you know, maybe some more Orthodox type religions or, or faiths, you, you may have put a lot of emphasis on Mary to the point that uh, there are some of the things that uh, have been taught or for, uh, for us Protestants especially are a little bit different. Uh, you know, there are paintings, ancient paintings of like Mary being crowned the queen of the universe there are things like she was a perpetual virgin. That is that she remained a virgin. She was a virgin when she had Jesus, and she remained a virgin for life. And believed that also, I mean, there's you know this side of the Mary picture that Mary was immaculately, uh, re, you know, conceived as well. Not just Jesus, but Mary as well. Now this, you know, and that she was born without sin. These are on the Roman Catholic side. That she was also bodily taken up to heaven the way Jesus was, that he just ascended, you know, that she really never died, actually. Uh, all of these takes. Um, in the Middle Ages, things really got out of hand in what might be called Mariolatry or Mariology or the idolatry of Mary, where they actually would take John 3.16 and change it to, for Mary so loved the world that she gave her only son. Uh, and then the Lord's Prayer, even in the Middle Ages and the Roman Catholic Church, was changed at times to Our Mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so maybe, you know, Protestants look at all of that and look at this Mariolatry and basically go, that is an aberration and that is totally just not right. So let's just discard Mary and let's not have anything to do with her. Let's don't talk about her because we've seen how weird it can get. And so maybe we Protestants have moved to the other side at times in history where we just totally discount Mary's contribution to Advent and to the faith at all. We don't talk about her a bit. You know, we not only do we deny, you know, the aberrations or the things that have been warped and kind of uh, taken out of context, but we all we want to emphasize what Mary wasn't. John Knox, one of the great reformers back in the 1500s, uh, was taken by the soldiers and told to touch and kiss a picture of Mary, and John Knox replied with this, Trouble me not when such an idol is a curse. I will not touch it. And the soldiers screamed, You shall handle it. And John Knox grabbed the picture and tossed it in the river. And replied to them, let our lady now save herself. 
she's light enough, let her learn to swim. I mean, that's, you know, that's one side of the picture of going to the opposite side of appreciating, indeed, what Mary's contribution was to the Advent. And then there's the other side that turns her into God, basically. But why totally reject Mary? I mean, why, why do we not appreciate her contribution? I mean, she was chosen by God, right? I mean, God looked down and, and picked her and said, I'm going to use her. I mean, the angel, I mean, Gabriel said, you're a highly favored of the Lord. Looked at her and said, I'm choosing you. Now, that was God's choice, nothing that Mary had done, just like God's choice for you. But God did choose her. And so are there some things that we can learn from Mary uh, during this season of Advent? Uh, like I said, Mary was there through the whole life and through the whole uh, picture and the story of the gospel right up to the birthing of the church. She was there. Maybe we need to heed uh, St. Augustine's words when he said this. This is kind of a balanced approach to a, a look at Mary. He said, It was for her a greater thing to have been Christ's disciple than to have been his mother. And she was blessed in her discipleship than in her motherhood. Hers was the happiness of first bearing in her womb him whom she would obey as her master. Wow. So we're going to look at uh, Luke 1, verses 26 through 35 this morning. If you've got your Bibles. And uh, let's read this and we'll, we'll see what Mary can teach us about the Advent this morning. Verses 26 through 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's kind of funny, really, because when you hear something like that, you know something's coming. Like troubled. Okay, what does this mean? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Father, I ask your blessing on your word this morning. This beautiful time, this time of the appearing, the coming of Jesus, the advent. We ask for your blessing. Breathe life on your word. Come to our hearts in a very special way today and reveal to us the beauty, the majesty, the expectant excitement, Lord, of you appearing. Not long ago, but now, here, with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is here, now. Awaken us, Lord, to this. Holy Spirit, come and breathe life in our hearts. Show us hope. Give us hope. 
bring hope alive in our hearts through Christ, the coming of our Savior and our Lord. Help us today as we look at Mary and what she may teach us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've got a handout. Uh, fill in in your handout, brother. And if you want to track along with me this morning, and your first fill in there is this. I think there are three things that Mary can teach us uh, during the Advent season. Three that I, I, that I see here. I'm sure there are a lot more. But three, the first one is this. Mary shows us the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary shows us the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who enabled and empowered Mary to do what she did. It wasn't her own sense of, you know, man, this is an awesome call, so I've got to really get the courage up to go do it. Um, you know, she, she wasn't manning up, womaning up, whatever. And, uh, you know, she wasn't manning up and saying, it's got to be my tenacity, my courage that's going to push me through this, that's going to enable me to do this. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that empowered her, that gave her the ability to face what she was about to go through. And, uh, I mean, I take great comfort in that because if you walk in this life long enough as a follower of Jesus, you're going to find out God will call you to do some things that in yourself you may try to pump yourself up, you know, where you can go at it and do it, but you know you're not up to it. You know you're not. And the promise, one of the promises that God gives us and one of the examples that we see in the Advent is that Mary, and she asked, how can this be? How is this going to happen? How can this, how am I going to be able to do this? And we see that Gabriel says it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. You know, God uses the weak. A lot of, in, in our society, it's not the weak that we believe can really go out and change the world, is it? I mean, our heroes are those who are strong and who are, you know, our movies are made of those who are strong and are brutal and are out front and have this uh, sense of self and, self, you know, the self-made man or woman and they can stand up and they can take on the world and so we look at this story of this young girl. I mean, a, a girl who was probably 13, 14 years old, maybe, in this society, a very young teenage girl. And, the, and God coming to her, an angel coming to her and telling her this, Gabriel too. I mean, Gabriel only, Gabriel only shows up at some big times in history. And he shows up to a little 13, 14-year-old and basically says, I'm going to change the world through you. And how is this going to happen? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit, not through her own sense of, uh, I can do this, I can do this. Remember the little engine that could? I'm sure my age, I don't know, you guys some young. You're like, no, Mom and Dad never told me about a little engine, Tim. I have an app that may show that, you know. They do still teach that. Okay, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I know I can, I know I can. It wasn't that kind of thing for Mary. It wasn't that she just had to say, I can do this, I can do this, and try to talk herself into some real positive sense of who she was. It was through the Holy Spirit. The whole gospel message is one of rescue and one of God showing himself strong in a people who don't seem like they're up to the task. I mean, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth, and he says, Brothers, sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you, there might have been a few, but not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You didn't have a background that would lend itself to success. But God chose 
the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's through the Holy Spirit that if we do anything with and for God in this world, it's, it's, it's him that's who works through us. That's who was working through Mary. It's not your own. There are not many in Seacoast Vineyard of noble birth. There are not many who have the talent to get a lot of things done. But God doesn't care about that. He transcends that and comes to the weak. He comes to those who think they don't have enough, like a 13, 14-year little girl, and says, I'm going to birth, I'm going to use you as the birth mother of my son into this world to change everything to redeem my creation back to myself because no one would ever expect me to pick you. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And did you know the same Holy Spirit that worked in Mary is in you if you're a follower of Christ? Not a different one. Sometimes I think we go, yeah, well, that was Mary, and there's a different Holy Spirit that resides in, in her. No, the same Holy Spirit lives in you that came upon Mary and empowered her to do the things that she did. It's the Holy Spirit, not some sense of rugged individualism, or not some tenacity and, you know, push through itness. Even Jesus, I, I think when this truth hit me back here a few years ago, um, that what Jesus accomplished on this earth, earth was accomplished through the Holy Spirit. When that truth hit me, it was, it was just a change for me because we think, well, he's the son of God. He's Jesus. He comes down from heaven. You know, he's 100% human. He's 100% uh, God as well. So, of course, Jesus could do what he did. He's the son of God. He's God. But what he did in the flesh was done through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in because he was God, but as he surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Jesus came as an example to us of what it's like to live 100% as a human being the way God always intended, in total reliance on the Father and the Holy Spirit. In Luke 3, 21, just a few chapters over, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The Holy Spirit came down on Jesus. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You know, Jesus did not come as Superman to this earth. He didn't fly down from his fortress. You know, he came down. Yes, he was fully God, but he put that to the side and he operated as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit the same way Mary was dependent, the same way we are dependent on the Holy Spirit and gave us an example of what it's like to live totally submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is an example of what living in the power of the Spirit is like and Mary is that example too. Think about her. I mean, 13, 14 years old. She's engaged 
those of us who are married, and especially you young ladies here that uh, are married, you think back to when you got engaged and you were about to go into marriage and you had all these dreams, didn't you? I mean, you had these dreams of what the romantic life was going to be like and what the future was going to hold for you and what it was going to be like to be with that man that you're finally, you know, you finally found and you're going to do life with him and these expectations and dreams and, and suddenly in the midst of this, I mean, you've already got the ring, right? It's a contract. You're contracted. And in the Jewish society, once you were betrothed, once you were engaged, it was a contract. You actually had to be written a writ of divorce in order to get out of that engagement during this culture. And so she has, imagine, all these expectations of the future, and then God interrupts it with these dramatic words. I mean, not just dramatic words. I'm talking forever-changing, crazy words, really. I mean, and she's listening to this, and she's taking in what were her dreams. How am I going to do this? I mean, she's got to tell her fiancé, Oh, Joseph, by the way, I'm pregnant, you know, by the Holy Spirit. It's come upon me, and yeah, all right, you know, um, okay. I mean, then you got to deal with that. You got to deal with your friends. Facebook's blowing up. Twitter, I mean, it's like, have you heard about Mary? She says she's having God's son, you know. Yeah, nutcase, and uh, all this. I mean, her friends think she's crazy. All of this, how did she get through this? It wasn't by her just going, oh, I'm such a strong person. It was her reliance on the Holy Spirit submitting herself to what the Holy Spirit was doing in her, what he had said to her, and going, I don't, I don't know that I can get through this, but with the Holy Spirit, I can, I, can do, you know, I can do this. I can submit to you, Lord, and you can do this through me. And uh, Hebrews 9, 14, you're talking about Jesus. You know, I think about this. The Holy Spirit is what empowered Jesus to get through where he, I mean, just getting through life. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus in the garden. Remember the prayer? You know, not my will, but yours, Lord. If there's any other way, it was, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for them to put those spikes through his wrist. It wasn't because he was the Son of God that he did that. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Submitting to the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit that kept him on the cross when he could have called all those angels to rescue him. The same Holy Spirit that resides in us as followers of Christ now. Because of his reliance on the Spirit, he stayed on the cross. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. In Hebrews 9.14, we read, How much more then will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal Spirit, that's how it happened, offered himself unblemished to God. That's how Jesus did it, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He did his ministry through the Holy Spirit. He went through the crucifixion by the Holy Spirit's power. And he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit's power. And the Advent has Mary's example in the midst of it too. Of what it's like to be dependent on the presence of the Holy Spirit and his good work in us and in human beings. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are because of the Holy Spirit. Because he wooed you, he called you, he grabbed your heart. He went after you. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I just feel like God is calling me, he's wooing me. I don't understand this, this sense I have in myself that I'm not fulfilled yet, but I believe God is wanting me to enter this story, this narrative with him. And I'm, it's, I keep, Jesus keeps 
being put before me that he's the door, he's the way, he's the life. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is communicating with you, talking to you, wooing you. And it's the Holy Spirit that will come and live within you and enable you and empower you to fulfill whatever he's called you to do. It's the Holy Spirit. When we look at Mary, let us see her as an example of how to follow Jesus by receiving the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? I didn't ask if you had checked the card off. You know. Didn't ask if you were a church member. Didn't ask even if you were a member of a church. Didn't ask if you went to church every day. Didn't ask if you served in this church. Didn't ask that. I asked, have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you know the presence of God in your life? Do you know that he's alive in your heart? Have you sensed his presence? One of the biggest dangers that we in the American church face is this thing I call secular faith or secular Christianity. And that is if I go to a church and if I participate in the church and if I'm a good person, I am good enough. That's not the Holy Spirit. That was good. But that's not the best. The best is the presence of God through the Holy Spirit who comes into our life and changes us from the inside out. We work hard on the outside to look like everything's good, but the Holy Spirit comes to the inside and begins to make his way out. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been born again as Jesus spoke? Do you know the presence of God in your life? Do you know that sense of his indwelling power and presence in your life to wipe away the sins and give you a hope and empower you to do what he's called you to do? Do you know that? And I think Mary's example of this, that we can know and that if we do anything, for God in this life, if we accomplish anything, it will be through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own talents and not our own abilities and our own tenacity and courage, but through the presence of the Holy Spirit. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of natural descent, well, I was raised by Christian parents. Not of natural descent. Nor of human decision. Or a husband's will. But born of God. The Holy Spirit does this work. Man, what a great time to even ask yourself and go... You know, I've been playing church or I've been going to church or I've been thinking I'm a good person, but this power of the Holy Spirit, this presence of God in my life, I don't know that, Tim. I, I don't know what that means. I don't even know the experience of having my sins forgiven. I don't know what that means. What a great time to come to the Lord and say, Jesus, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Let me experience who you are, your coming, your advent in my life through the Holy Spirit. Mary is an example of that. I mean, we're going to face challenges, and the only way we face challenges in this life uh, in, a, in a, a way that God can work through us is through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he will sustain you, empower you. Not many of us are facing what Mary faced, but Mary realized early on that this was, it was going to be the Spirit that got her through this, and that's what Gabriel told her. It was going to be the Holy Spirit that carried her through 
this very tough time. And I bet some of you in here today, you're facing some very challenging situations, and you go, I'm not up to this. I'm just not up to it. I don't have enough courage. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, God. I don't know how. And God goes, yeah, I know. I know. I was a little girl back 2,000 years ago that felt the same way. And I came upon her with my presence and the Holy Spirit, and I sustained her and worked through her. And she faced some very incredible situations in her life, and she faced them successfully because of my presence in her. And I can do the same in you. I will be a very present help in time of need through the Holy Spirit in your life. What are you facing during this Advent season? Christmas is a tough time for, for a lot of folks. Some of us have lost loved ones during this period. I lost my mom through Christmas, you know, three years ago. So Christmas is a reminder of things, of loss at times, and we're not sure how we're going to get through it. How is God going to sustain you, and you're trying to get up the energy to puff it out, to make it? And all along, the Holy Spirit is wanting you to relax and let Him come, fill you with His presence and His peace. The Holy Spirit will empower you to get through. Mary shows us a life that's full of the Holy Spirit, how to submit to it. And secondly, Mary shows us the power of the prayer of submission. Mary shows us the power of the prayer of submission. Um, Phil Stroud, our national director in the vineyard, was with us, what, a couple of months ago. And uh, he called this uh, the prayer of indifference. If you were here, you remember this. And uh, I thought that's, that's pretty cool. Because when I think of indifference, I think of someone who doesn't care in a way. They're indifferent to things. And Phil took us through a teaching that basically says, no, the prayer of indifference is the prayer of submission. And that is that we will submit ourselves to God's will and call at any moment in time in life. And that, Lord, whatever you send my way, I will be faithful in it and I will walk in it. The prayer of submitting ourselves. And Mary says in Luke 1.34, you know, uh, 138, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That prayer of, okay, I am your servant. Whatever you've called me to do, I can do it. Because what? The power of the Holy Spirit that we just saw. Because you are with me, and I am your servant, I will submit myself to this. You know, she didn't have to do that. I mean, she didn't have to. I mean, she could have gone... Well, I got plans. You know, I got dreams, God. What are you doing? I mean, do you realize my family, what they're going to say about me? Do you realize what my friends are going to say? What about my future? What about this? What about that? This can't be real. She didn't have to pray the prayer of submission. She didn't have to do that. And I'm sure her apprehension level was off the charts. Can you imagine? I mean, that happened. I can't even imagine it. And let's just face it. I mean, we're pretty good. I don't think this society was any different, but we're pretty good at wanting our own way in life, aren't we? Do you like it when people budge into your life and you got plans and suddenly things change? Do you like it when someone interrupts your plans for the next day, much less the next lifetime? 
I mean, how do we handle that? Mary is such an example, a beautiful example of looking at God and going, God, I'll submit to your will. The prayer of submission. And we don't like things that bump us out of our comfort zone. And we have an amazing example here of not just getting bumped out of a comfort zone. All of life is getting readjusted. When we have no evidence that Mary, when she was four, five, six, seven, eight years old, had any inclination something like this was coming. So she's just hit with it. She has to make a decision. Do I submit to what God is doing here in my life? Or do I fight against it and go my own way? And we just don't want to... We don't like giving in to each other, do we? You don't like giving in in your marriage. Come on, let's be truthful. I mean, right? I mean, it's, we, all, we all want our way, you know? And we all want our way in church. We all want our way on the job. We want our way. We just want our way. And, and when God comes and, and bumps into us or something happens in our life, that point in time when we pray as followers of Jesus, okay, God, what are you up to right now? That's a very crucial time, whether I pray the prayer of submission or I just want to raise my fist to God and go, you know what, I am not doing this, and I'm not walking through this, and I'm not embracing this, and I will not submit. There is a choice. Mary had a choice. She prayed the prayer of submission. Now, Richard Foster Basically, if you've ever read The Celebration of Disciplines, great book, by the way, about prayer, fasting, solitude. Great for putting uh, some practices into your life that are healthy. Calls this the discipline of submission. And a church is like the epicenter for developing the, the discipline of submission. Foster says, it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our way. The obsessive demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. People will spend weeks, months, even years in a perpetual stew because some little thing did not go as they wished. They will fuss and fume. They will get mad about it. They will act as if their very life hangs on the issue. They may even get an ulcer over it. Having to get our way just getting all worked up. And then God comes to us and goes, I'm going to teach you this discipline if you'll work with me. The discipline of submission. The practice of submission. And like I said, the local church is the best place in marriage, uh, best place in the world to practice this and the most challenging place to practice this submission. Because anytime you get more than one person in the room, there's going to be another opinion, right? And someone... Someone has to work through, they have to submit, compromise, find God's will, have to learn to work. And for all of our talk about unity in the church, we Christians are some of the most uh, unsubmitted people at times that we can be. We won't submit to each other or submit to God, what it is. We just, we're all individuals. We come in with our own thoughts, our own minds, and we, we have a real struggle in working together to focus ourselves together, submitting ourselves to a plan and such that God can work through us in a very special way. You know, I just want to encourage you guys that we have never, I know I've been a pastor for a long time, but we were never church bouncers. We didn't bounce around in church. We found a place, we settled down, we served in it for decades. They'd have to kick us out. 
I don't mean if it's a cult. I'm talking about if it's a good church that loves Jesus Christ. And if this isn't your church, find one, get in it, submit to it, get in it, and contribute and be a part of it, and let's get going for Christ. We should be an example of the discipline of submission to our community. They should be able to look at us and say, man, there's so many different kinds of people with different kinds of opinions, but look at them. Look how they love one another, and look at how they work together to love their community. And that's the testimony we want in our churches. And the, the local church is the forum for learning that, that along with marriage and having kids, of course, you know, those kind of things. And relationships, any relationship, even if you're single and your friendships, when you're single, you know, keeping those friendships, learning to submit to one another and finding out, you know, what am I going to, I don't always have to have my way. They want to go out to eat here. Or they want to go to this movie. I don't want to see that movie. You know, it's like who gives and how do we get along? The discipline of submission. Mary is such an example of that. May your word to me be fulfilled. I, after 42 years of trying to follow Jesus, I got to tell you, life is a lot easier when you learn to give a little bit and submit along the way. Things seem to go much better. When you relinquish your own personal agenda and goals and uh, to, to God and you say okay God I'm willing for you to adjust my future I'm willing for you to adjust wherever I am uh, come and do it things just seem to go better I, I feel freer you know I feel like now I'm free I'm not having to take a bush axe and make my way through the wilderness and have my own way I'm waiting for God to empower me and kind of show me the way and if, if I was headed that way but he's showing me an opening and he's like nah Tim this is it then okay put the bush axe down <laughs> You know, go with me. Things in life seem to go a little bit easier, a little bit better. And I'm not talking about dumb resignation when you just say whatever. Or whatever, God, you know. Yeah, go ahead, whatever. I'm talking about not being a passive observer, but an active participant in submitting yourself. That is willingly saying, God, here I am. Here I am, send me. You just show me, Lord. I'm submitting myself to you. This is maybe not the route, the place where I had in mind, but I hear you through the Holy Spirit, the first thing we mentioned. So, okay, I'm submitting myself to your will and embracing that. Remember Jesus in the garden? I mean, Jesus is a human being. He, yes, he's the son of God, but don't forget that he was also 100% human, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he looks at God knowing that just a few hours from now, he was going to be brutalized and murdered. And he's realizing that, and he looks up at God, and he says, if there's any other way, but almost just as quick in that little verse there, he says, but yet not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer of submission. Yet not mine, but yours, Lord. I wish there was another way. I don't want to go this way. I had plans. I know there's pain down this road. I'm going to have to submit to some things that I would rather not have to do, but not my will, but yours be done. The prayer of submission. Because we can't sometimes see what's on the other side of that submission. Mary was holding on to the fact that Gabriel had given her a promise that God's going to bless you through this, Mary. And this is going to be traumatic. Jesus in the garden knows the pain is coming, but on the other side of that it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The, the joy set before him was you, me. That's why he endured it. That's why he was able to submit himself 
was because he saw you, he saw me. So I'm not talking about dumb resignation. And I know you have questions. Mary had questions. I mean, she says, how will this be? And that's not just biologically, how will this be? I'm a virgin. How will this be? That's not, in that little question is not just a biological question. It's a, how am I going to be able to deal with this? How will this be? I'm 13, 14 years old. I've got a family. I've got dreams. How will this be? How is this going to work out, God? I don't, I don't, I don't, I got to trust you now. I'm going to have to submit to you. How will this be? How will this work out? And yet she still submitted to God. She went along with what God had for her. There's a, I think a, I think a lot went on between Luke 134 and Luke 138. 134, she says, how will this be? And in Luke 138, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. I think a lot went on in those four verses because it was at that time that she had to decide whether she was going to submit or if she was going to rebel against it and run from it. We may have four verses sometimes. That's it, to make a decision in our life. Am I going to push back or am I going to embrace God's will for my life? Am I going to submit? Am I willing to trust God with the future because I can't see the outcome yet? But if he's calling me to this, I know there's something on the other side of it. What do you need to submit to God during Advent? What do you need to give to him? And you're afraid to give it up because you don't know what's on the other side of it, but you know God has called you to submit to it. Is it some unforgiveness in your life towards someone, some bitterness, some situation that's happened, and God is asking you to submit it to him, to give it to him? Some disillusionment? in life Mary is an example of someone who shows us the power of the prayer of submission and thirdly Mary shows us the power of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Mary shows us the power of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus we don't like to talk much about this but this is a call of his followers to share in his sufferings at times in Luke 2.25 there's a story of an old man named Simeon Simeon was old. He was in the temple. He stayed there because he felt like God told him, you are not going to die, Simeon, until you see the Messiah. I won't take you home. I'm not going to take you until you see Jesus has come, until the Messiah has come, Christ has come. And so Joseph and Mary take uh, Jesus to, to the temple, which was right for them to do three things, probably one, the purification of the woman. They were good Jewish people so in 40 days after birth um, Mary would go to the temple for the purification uh, ceremony and the presentation of the firstborn that was part of it taking the firstborn to God and presenting so they were there at the temple for that and also dedicating the firstborn to the Lord's service so they were good Jewish people and they went to the temple to do this and Simeon sees them with Jesus in their arms and he sees Jesus and he goes now this is the time. And when he prophesies over her, he says this, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling. This is in Luke 2, 34 through 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It won't just be Jesus who is going to feel this, Mary, but you will as well. And you mothers, you know there's pain in the childbirth. Well, there used to be. Now they got a lot of drugs. But there used to be a lot of, a lot of pain in the childbirth. And, uh, but there's definitely pain as you watch your kids. And when they get hurt and when they are in pain, your own heart breaks as only a mom's heart can do. You know that pain. And Mary is only mentioned two times in the book of John. And both times she's mentioned with reference to the crucifixion. Remember the, the first miracle? They're at a wedding. They run out of wine. Mary comes to her son. She goes over to Jesus. And she basically, you know, says, you need to do something about this over in John 2, 4. I mean, they've run out of wine. It's a wedding reception. You know, they need wine. And, and uh, Jesus looks at her and says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come, which means if I do this miracle, the clock starts. They will see who I am. And now the clock starts. The countdown is on. Mary, that wasn't lost on Mary. She knew what that meant. And then the next time we see her is in John 19, 25 through 27, when Jesus is on the cross and he looks down at his mom and he says, woman, here is your son. That pain, Mary is an example of that pain and that suffering that sometimes we have to go through in our pursuit of God in the advent we cannot forget the sufferings of Christ and the fact that at times we will be called to suffer for him. Remember, this is starting 30 weeks before Bethlehem, our Luke passages this morning. 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before we see the crucifixion, the Easter. So Mary is an example this morning to us of the power of the Holy Spirit prayer of submission and the sharing of the sufferings of Christ now why did God do all of this because he cares for you he cares for you why didn't God send Jesus down as an adult instead of as a child he could have couldn't he why didn't he have him birthed in a golden crib in a palace somewhere but he didn't he had him birthed in some hay with the stench of animal dung about when there was no room for him anywhere why did God see fit to have Jesus born through a lowly little girl of no historic importance like Mary for you that's why let's pray we hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach South Carolina we look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.